Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living, and We Will Win the Day. And you can check out my Audible, African-American Athletes Who Made History, which is on Amazon. I'm Derek White, author of uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jake Gaither, Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football, as well as The Challenge of Blackness, the Institute of Black World and Black Politics in the 1970s. Lou, welcome back. Lou, welcome back. <laughs> ah, man, man, thank you. It's, it's, good to, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Good, good to be seen and not viewed, I guess, is like we say in a thing. Uh, today, we have a special episode of the pod. Uh, we had breaking news today. We were actually going to record yesterday, and I, I forgot. I don't remember what we were even going to talk about. But today, first day of Black History Month, uh, we got the news that Brian Flores, former NFL coach of the Miami Dolphins, has sued a, filed a class action lawsuit against the Giants, uh, the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the entire NFL uh, regarding the uh, hiring practices of black coaches, general managers, as well as offensive and defensive coordinators. It's a devastating lawsuit. Uh, it's so devastating that we actually need a third person to come bring in because it was so amazing. So we brought in uh, our colleague, our friend who lives in the ATL, Shorty, uh, Carl Sudler. Carl, welcome to the Black Athlete Podcast once again, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a good time to join y'all. All right, um, Lou. What are your first thoughts? Because I know you want to just tell the world what happened in the in the lawsuit. So, long, Lou, go make that in the front half of this episode. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, what had happened? No, I, you know, honestly, I was I was shocked when I when I when I got the news on on the twitters about this um, lawsuit because from what I was uh, all I understood was that Brian Flores was still in the running for jobs, but. I think at some point, you know, obviously where, where he details in the lawsuit, he realized that he really wasn't right. And, and, and all these interviews that he was doing in the past and, and in the present, right. Were shams. And really it seemed like he understood his coaching job was a sham too. Right. Uh, so my initial thoughts was like, Whoa, this is, this is big time because when you go through the, the 58 pages, it's, it's like he's spilling the tea and he's, he's got text messages, right. From, from the greatest coach of all time. Um, and, and which is what actually, uh, opens everything up. And then there's the, the me part, you know, sometimes, you know, I am a shameless plugger. I, I like to center myself too often. Uh, this is, this is not my fault, uh, this lawsuit, but I did notice that a little, a little article I wrote for the African American intellectual uh, historical society appeared in there. So, so I'm pretty happy and I'm happy not, not necessarily because it's my work. I'm not going to lie. That makes me happy, but because, you know, as historians, we do a lot of public facing stuff. Right. And, and, you know, there's always a debate from, you know, people and our, you know, our colleagues, right. Like this isn't real scholarship. No one does this. And I always push back. Like I'm writing for like a, a broader audience. And at some point somebody saw it, right. Like, I don't know when they, this lawsuits ra- rather soon. Right. And so they was able to put something together and somehow they saw it. And so, so it makes me proud that, that my work, um, is, is part of this, right? Um, because I do spend a lot of time studying this, 
Um, so I was excited that they were able to use some of my history, right? And that's always all I ever wanted to do with my history was tell these stories to to, to teach people. And and here in one of the big moments of of really NFL history, right? It's gonna it might go down as like a Kurt Flood moment, right? Um, if something comes from this, um, that that you get a little be a little tiny small part of this, right? Maybe people won't know, they won't read the footnotes, but you know, it, on that note, it's pretty exciting, but the reality of that, that this stuff keeps happening to these black coach that that's, uh, that's disappointing. Um, Carl, what did you, what did you think when this, when this, uh, this, this, the news came down and, and when you read through the, the, the filing today? Yeah, I guess, you know, for me, like, you know, when the, the bombshell story broke, I felt like it wasn't, a, a bombshell because of the findings and obviously we could we can chat about these here in a good in a minute or so but the, the Flores lawsuit sent that jolt through the airwaves because I feel like our gut instincts immediately recognize the sacrifice right like it takes a particular kind of courage to take this sort of stand which for all intents and purposes is going to cost Flores his career in the NFL, right? His career in this institution that he described as, you know, having done so much for him and his family, right? There are so few people in history who take that step. And so respect to Flores, right, for picking up this fight, you know, but I also thought um, it was an important moment to kind of reflect on this sports is a microcosm of society moment, right? Which then makes this bombshell less bombshelly. Right, because that a word? I don't know. Emory word? We don't know that one up here. Well, well, because I mean, you know, gesture to society, right? It's a mess out here, and so I think, like, you know, the idea that multi-billion-dollar institutions have racist hiring practices isn't news, right? Anybody who studies institutions will be like, "Yep, that makes sense," right? And so, in a way, it's in, in some of that cynicism. I think it's also this this kind of sense of defeat. Right. Because there's an inability to somewhat see a fix Um, because the fix here is is we have to somehow convince billionaire white folks to do something that they seemingly don't want to do here. Right. And so how do you fix that? Um, But, you know, but 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 the reason I I, kind of think it's, it's a moment to reflect on this like idea that sports is a microcosm of society or however we think about that. Um. Is because the NFL is not singular here, right? It's a mm. bunch of these institutions that operate in the same kind of vein. And so, you know, for all the Black Athlete podcast listeners out there, right, you know, take this moment to reflect and identify what these systemic practices might look like much closer to home, right? I, I, I laughed, and and I'll, I'll end on the opening note here on this, this last point, but, like, I laughed listening to Hassan Jeffries on a recent interview, shout out to, you know, Hassan, friend of the Black Athlete Podcast. Yeah. Um, but but I, laugh, I laugh because he said something along the lines that, you know, something changed in 2020 with the summer protests, you know, having protests in all 50 states, having the most diverse protesters and locations. And, you know, they were taking, you know, a lot of these young kids were taking back what they were hearing either on the streets or online. And they were asking their parents questions like, what is systemic racism? Right? <laughs> and, and and some of them parents are front office staff folks in these NFL franchises, right? Yep. And some of these folks are sick and tired of being asked to do things that they don't want to do, 
And so, yeah, you know, happy first day of Black History Month, where, like Trevor Noah posted earlier, it's not a felony to say that, I guess. <laughs> what, happy Black History Month? Is it not a felony? Yeah, you know, I mean, some states are fighting back. Oh, yeah, not yet. Okay, I got it. I missed missed the Trevor Noah reference. I apologize to Trevor Noah. I missed it. I mean, I'll say this. I think your point is, is, Carl, your point is is excellent here and thinking about the the number of kind of institutions, right? I mean, look, we we all work in higher education and higher education is uh, 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 very guilty, despite what many people think uh of this uh i can detest this because i've been fired like i i can say this uh got hired under some set of circumstances and fired under another set of circumstances that was uh uh uh, felt a lot like brian flores (laughs) let's just say i understood what he was talking about um and so uh but i think the main thing that's interesting about this lawsuit is that it was a double barrel shotgun at the presumptions of the NFL, right? That you talked about him throwing away his NFL career, but like he went out like with blaze of glory here, right? Like his in this opening page, he talks about the NFL is rife with racism, right? It is, um, he's like racial discrimination has only been made worse by the NFL's disingenuous commitment to social equity. He calls it a plantation, <laughs> right like like this i mean this is the kind of language this is not to say because he had a lawsuit right there's a way to frame this lawsuit against the giants and the dolphins and the broncos in a way that is discriminatory but not in like this is him raising the stakes right i mean this is 40 million dollar slaves right this is the language Mm -hmm. that we use regularly in trying to describe these kinds of these kinds of relationships in sports but it's not the language that most insiders would ever use in public, let's say, because they'll say it behind closed doors, but they won't say it in public. And so to not only say it in public and with the lawsuit is speaks to, I think, that how the discourse around the Rooney rule and opportunities in coaching has really dramatically shifted. And, and at least for Brian Flores, he's like, I've had enough of this. And, and, you know, to add on to that, what was so shocking is that it, it all this stuff, this rhetoric comes from a, a coach, a black coach. And, and what we know of the black coaches, they can never say anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because if they do, their job is done. They're going to be seen as angry. You know, the, the owner won't want anything to do with them. So a lot of this times it's, you don't really get a black coach ever speaking out that much, right? Like someone like Tony Dungy, who's probably the most famous black coach, he carries the water for, for the NFL on these subjects, right? Mm-hmm. He's the guy who, who when John Gruden's racist, you turn to him to say he's not racist. <laughs> right, right. And and the other black coaches, you know, no emotions. You, get, you know, even Jimmy Caldwell, I used to watch him all the time when he's at Detroit. No emotions because you can't be emotional, mm-hmm. right? And for a black coach to all of a sudden come out and say, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to sue you. And then I'm just going to drop all these dives or, or, as you say, double bear a shotgun. To me, that's the biggest woe factor, right? Because he comes with this kind of respect and credit of a coach. Mm-hmm. But then – he all of a sudden he has a voice now that's not just X's and O's. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've been prepared for that. You get that a little bit in basketball, but especially with the white coaches, right? You get right. that with sneakers on the world of Ed Gundy Popovich. And, yeah. and Popovich and Doc Rivers had his moment. He had like mm-hmm. that one moment and the, and the NBA shut down, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Doc Rivers was crying. 
but for these coaches, the way we hold up football coaches to a certain standards, and I think the way black coaches probably internalize that and feel that they have to walk this very thin line because there are very so few opportunities for them, right? And for him to come out and put the NFL on blast, to, to me, on, as Carl said, the first day of Black History Month, to me, that's what was so amazing about it. And, and Flores talked about this, right? Like, in the actual, like, dive, like, spend time in this document, y'all, because he literally wrote, or, you know, lawyers and folks who drafted this together, right? He, he wrote, this is reflective in talking about this stigma of being, you know, perceived as an angry black man, right? Like he mm-hmm. writes that this is reflective of an all too familiar stigma that's often casted upon black men who are strong in their morals and convictions while white men are coined as passionate, right? Yeah, like, right. you yeah. know, he wasn't holding back, right? He, you know, they, they came out with with a document that, that, that I think, you know, especially us as like professors and it being in the classroom, like, like I, I'm on leave right now, you know, so <laughs> kind of like excitement yeah, working on that next book. But, um, <laughs> but, but if I, but if I was in, if I was teaching this semester, you know, if I was teaching this semester, this would have been one of those moments where I would have had to go into the classroom tomorrow and say, I have a living, breathing syllabus I know it said this on the syllabus, but right. we're going to talk about these 58 pages yeah. because, you know, it, it, it was that powerful of a, of, of a kind of moment. Right. Um, and, it, and, and for a lot of these things that we've already started hitting on. Yeah. No. And I think this is, uh, and you know what, I actually want to, this is not in the text, but I think that when we look at the context, right. This is some of this is the dolphins fault, right? Like not only did they fire him, which he was angry about, but if we go back a few weeks ago when after they fired him and they said to him, uh, they released to all their sources that he didn't get along with the, the quarterback and that he was hard to like, like they disparaged him right. as the justification for them wanting to, to fire him despite having two winning seasons. Right. And I think for him, that was the really the final straw because by disparage him as, as saying that like he's difficult and he was hard on Tua, whether that was true or not, right? I mean, they had Bill Parcells. Ain't nobody been harder on any NFL players than Bill Parcells, right? Like, I mean, that was his right. whole shtick. And and so to, for them to say that this man was hard on this, the, the, the quarterback that they've been trying to trade for two years, right? The quarterback that they were like, will anybody come and take his job? Right. Is that's so disingenuous. And I think that he understood that once he was labeled as this angry black man, that his opportunity to become another head coach anywhere else was all they had all not only they had fired him, but they had also basically effectively closed the door for any kind of other opportunities. Right. And I think that that was the thing that if we look at it, I would be interested. You noted that tomorrow morning. At uh, 7 a.m., this may not be up, but on uh, so it's tomorrow's Wednesday, there's going to be an interview on what was that on? Is it Good Morning America? CBS, 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 CBS Sports. Yeah. So I'm interested in to hear what if we can if we can discern some of his rationale for you know what makes you make the decision to do this right because he was already probably angry about the whole situation. But as Lou, as you pointed out, most of the time you just suck it up because you know you want to get. There's so few jobs in the NFL, whether the coordinator or as head coach. So you want another one of those opportunities. Um, and you for, he's 40 years old. And so he's got another 20 years of possibly working in, in, in NFL. And he's like, I damn that. 
this is much right. more important. I think that's a more impressive going back to Carl's point as well about the kind of stakes and the risk that he took in this. Well, can I say something real quick? Like yeah. we say he's 40 and maybe he, maybe he has 20 years left, but how many, how many black coaches got that third opportunity? I think it's Romeo Cornell. And I'm not sure he got hired, hired officially at, at Houston when he did, but that's it. Right. So there's no third. He's got one shot at this one shot left at 40 years old, if we follow the pattern of other black coaches. And he was, after being so successful in three years, right, beating Bill Belichick, right, keeping him out of the playoffs in one year, essentially essentially busting Brady out of there, if, I, if my math is correct, right? Mm-hmm. Two years ago when they kept him out, that's what forces eventually Brady, Brady leaves town, right? Mm-hmm. After he was given a job, he was supposed to fail. Yeah, right? like he was. This is this is the other crazy part about what he's dropping. He's getting paid to lose, and he's making and, the accusation that he's getting paid. Right, to he's lose. making the accusation. I believe him. Right, you don't. You're not gonna throw <laughs> that. He's not. This is. I hate to be this guy, but this is not a B. You know what I mean? Yeah, this yeah, is no. not. This is not. If a B is telling me something like ah, you got a track record of record of of doing kind of stuff like this, I'm not gonna listen to you. Right. But this is Brian Flores is a coach saying this, like, okay, I'm gonna listen because this is gonna be discovery. There's gonna be all this kind of stuff, Ooh, right? So he's throwing this juicy. out. Juicy. I'm gonna let y'all. Oh my know. gosh. Oh, they got the hook with John Gruden. Oh, they got the hook with Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if they're gonna get, a, oh, get off the hook think, with, with Brian Flores, but Flores is like, yo, we're about to get discovery. We're about to get a whole lot of text messages and emails. Right. And, I mean, and the other thing about this, oh, go ahead. I was one more point. We've talked about this before. Steven Ross of the Miami Dolphins. He uses that idea of you, that social justice work, right? You know, all that goes away, right? Because we know what you did. We know that you hired a black coach. And I've been saying this since 2019 on the Twitters, right? You hired a black coach to tank. We all know that. And using the social justice work as a facade, using the black GM as a facade, right? To kind of, kind of, you know, understand that like, as this coach, this is what you did to this black guy. I think I think we're gonna have to be a little bit more critical towards Stephen Ross. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I mean, you you commented on text message, right? And 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 I think like you know all the mainstream media outlets were jumping all over that Belichick text message, right? Like if Belichick doesn't quote unquote accidentally send this text message to a former New England staffer. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, like Flores was on the staff. Right. Yeah. Like, like how, like the fact that you make that blunder is beyond me, except that both of their names are Brian. Right. But like, but the fact that you make that mistake. Right. Um, right. And, and in text form, in text form and, and, and right. say something, you know, like, you know, I, I could not stop sending the laughing emoji to people rereading that screenshot of Bill Belichick being like, sorry, I effed this up. Right. right? Because <laughs> and, and Brian Flores simply, you know, responding, thanks, Bill. Right? Like, yeah. that thanks, Bill, is going to sit forever. <laughs> because the tone in which he said thanks, Bill, in that text message was oh, on. through and through. Right? Um, like, and and oh, so... Like, I, how, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, thanks, Bill. Right? Um, but, um... But but to the point about the the dolphins, right? I, I think you know one of the other kind of big parts about what Stephen Ross was doing, or at least what the lawsuit indicates that he was doing, is um positioning himself to to kind of make a case for Deshaun Watson, right? Mm-hmm. Even though they're not using right. Deshaun Watson's name in the in the case, we all you know anybody who you think that's the person knows. that that quarterback they mentioned or no? 
Yes. Yes. That's the unnamed quarterback? Okay. Yeah. Showing up on a boat? Yes. Right, 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 right. Because, well, there were ties about Flores and him potentially working together elsewhere, right? Like, you know, that that, that kept coming up as sort of the match that was trying to be forced, um, you know, throughout the season. So, so and, and then thinking about Flores and his relationship with Tua and, but, um, but, but, but I think that, you know, that, that puts Ross again in this kind of like interesting situation where he's just like, you know, there is a very talented quarterback who's available and Flores standing on his potential moral ground of saying, yes, but right. Like, like we can't make this move right now. Mm-hmm. And Ross being like, but we should. Right. And, and, and them kind of like falling out over this decision on whether or not Watson is potentially untouchable at this moment, right? Um, right. And so I, I thought that was an interesting tension that kind of like is kind of weaved throughout here about his moment with uh, the Dolphins, right? Because Ross regularly points to kind of like these types of interactions with the head coach that he's fed up about. Yes. Right? I invited yeah. you to my yacht, right? Yes. <laughs> like, right. you know, it's these things, right? That, that he, he doesn't know how to play making. well with the management, right? This is the that's, part, right. that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. the way it read, but like, it, it 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 is an interesting dynamic, right? I do think that you you were spot on here with the with the uh, Deshaun Watson uh, assumption because that was a rumor. I mean, there was a lot of rumors. It wasn't just Deshaun Watson. I think they have tried to do a whole lot of quarterbacks. That's why this is my point earlier about w- when they fired him, they were saying how he didn't get along with Tua, and I'm like, he didn't get along with Tua, but Tua is the person y'all was trying to undermine from the from the top of the organization right. on down. And he's the one who's playing Tua, right? When Tua was healthy, Tua started, right? It wasn't as if Tua was healthy and they were putting him on the bench, a la like the Chicago Bears, right? Like this is this is like something very different, right? Like, and so I think that there's there's some interesting kind of dynamics that that this lawsuit, I think it exposes a ton of stuff, but it also gives us a small window into the kind of behind the scenes interactions in that one particular organization that I think. Um, has one, it speaks ill of the Dolphins. The Dolphins are terrible and they're terribly ran. Um, uh, as a person who lived in South Florida, you know this, Carl, you lived at FAU. Like, it's a lot of our former students are my former students are Dolphins fans, and I just kind of feel for them because it's like, yeah, you know, like, I guess, you know, um, can we just, I want to yeah. change, I want to change go, real, real quick. quick. Go ahead, go ahead, Lou. Okay, I was gonna say like they wanted to, I mean the whole tank for Tua thing, but I think midway they realized that it was at some point it was Joe Burrow, right? <laughs> right, and so so winning got them out of getting the number one pick in Joe Burrow, right? And it was clear that's what they wanted to do the whole time. And Florence and 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 Flores, to to his credit, all he wanted to do was coach football and win, right? And and they tried to actively tank, and he outperformed it. Um, and then this year, you know, he had that amazing seven game win streak, made Lamar Jackson look like an amateur out there and it wasn't enough. And, and as to you guys' point, they, they smeared, they just smeared his name. Right. And, and that to me, that's what did it right there. Yeah, like you can't yeah. drag that man's name through the mud. Nah, nah. he's, he's, he's from New York, right? You're not yeah. going to do that to him. Nah, it was like, it the, like that, that New York, the wire he's came like, out. My name is my yeah. name. Like, it's, right. It's, right. It's, You're not doing that. Yeah, no. Can we talk real quick about the solutions that are, that are kind of implied in this lawsuit as well? Right. But, but I mean, obviously, there's a legal solution, a class action with an un, 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 uh, unnamed amount of money. 
But, you know, about halfway through, they're talking about the other relief sought in this injunction is, you know, one of them is that they want black investors to take majority ownership. I thought that was interesting. They didn't call for black owners. They call for black majority ownership, which is, a, is an important part. And the other one, this is very, this is one that struck me as for us in academia. One of the things that says ensure diversity of decision-making by permitting select black players and coaches to participate in the interview process for general managers, uh, head coach, offensive, defensive coordinators. This is like what we always talk about. We need to search. We need to diversify the search committee. As all of us right. know, who've been on far too many search committees in our lives, um, this is a this is not necessarily a guarantee to get you to any better results. Um, the other part that I thought was interesting is that he calls for, and this is the one I thought was brilliant requiring NFL teams to reduce to writing their rationale for hiring and termination decisions. Like y'all got to have to justify it other than some vague thing about fit, right? Like you have to write it out. Right. Um, And, and I think that was an important piece. And then of course, another piece was um, objective criteria uh, about the wins and losses side by side comparisons because as as Lou and I think this is where your work really shines in I'm going to let you come in here is talking about the fact that you know if we look at the history of black coaches they've outperformed you know they've done better but given less time right and I think that this is what he's really alluding to in the lawsuit and so he wants an objective performance like comparison there's no reason that Cliff Kingsbury gets a job. Like I, I think he's done better than I ever thought he would do in Arizona. But he got fired at Texas Tech, which is like not even like how are you getting a promotion after getting fired at Texas Tech, right? Like, right. and this and is can't this win is, with Patrick Mahomes, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, talk a little bit about like you know in your work, you talk a little bit about this coaches, the, the coaches, the opportunities. You said this earlier about they don't get second and third chances. Illuminate that for our listeners. Well, the, you know, I use the term cleanup men, right? Like they, they clean up the mess, right? And and so you bring them in to, to you know, because you wouldn't, in my theory, my point, you wouldn't put it like a young white guy in that position, right? Because you know mm-hmm. they're going to struggle. Um, unless you're Dan Campbell, you know, no, Dan Campbell came into a crappy situation. <laughs> he has to stay there. But most 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 black coaches, that's that's it. That's all you get. And so when we, even when we compare wins or losses, like white versus black, it's always tainted from that way because you're just started, you're starting from the bottom. Um, and I don't, I'm trying to think who, how many coaches actually ever came into a good situation. It was uh, Dungy going probably from Tampa Bay to Indianapolis, even though they had always underperformed and he really made them. And Caldwell. Right? Um, and Caldwell getting to get that right, but he had earned, you know, he earned that. He had been the, you know, Caldwell been in the game since what the seventies, right? Coaching and then bid under Dudgy and stuff like that. And then he show improved. He went like what fourteen and two, fourteen and two, took him to the Super Bowl. Um, and then he struggled when when Manning broke his neck, but but so would everyone else. Um, you know, Tomlin being able to be in that Pittsburgh situation, but really everybody else just gets crap situations. And and you know, look no further than David Coley, who oh who, man. Who outperformed, and I, I think they mentioned it in the, in the report too, yeah, right? They do. He took over a team that had Deshaun Watson only winning four games, lost Watson, lost Hopkins, and still did what? And on a rookie quarterback, and they fired him, right? And Coley, they said he'd been in the game for about 45 years. I think he gets hired in like 78, but you know, whatever math. Uh, so, <laughs> so it is, I think it is like 40, by the time it's like 41, 42 years um, that he gets his first shot. 
And then what are the Texans doing? They're tanking. They're talking to a guy. They're tanking, but they're talking to a guy who has never coached before. Ever. any level. And they're serious about it. And what, they're going to get a high draft pick. They're going to, you know, they're going to do all this stuff. So, so it seems like McCown's coming to a crap situation because it's the Texans, but I'm sure they're ready. And the other thing is like that Saints job. That's a crap job, right? And it's going to be interesting to see who's like going to have to forty-five clean up million that dollars mess. Over, they're $45 million right. over the cap. Because <laughs> it's a mess, right? And this is what you get. This is the black coach gets the mess. And, and so where you know figure out where the mess is and that's where you might get you're probably gonna get a black coach um the other yeah. thing and i'll just say this now before before i forget because that uncle nearest is kicking in um shout out to uncle nearest be our sponsor uh black history <laughs> month right black history. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we you know we talked about solutions and i know maybe this is not the time to do it but some of the solutions is really it's so hard because this idea that black folks can't be young geniuses in the game of football Right, it's so ingrained into who, who we to to who this culture is, right? This 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 football culture is that that's what's got to change. It ain't right? even a football culture. Let me just right. let me just in general. Yeah, the general. Go I mean, ahead. like, look, look. We this is this is going to be a far field, but Lou, uh, but Lou and Carl, we talked about this last week. We saw this uh, that Biden said he wants to to name a black woman to the Supreme Court, and right. everybody's like, we should find somebody qualified, as if like somehow being black and a woman is somehow you know, uh, different from being qualified, right? Like, because the, they don't get the benefit of the doubt. And so we can run right. up anybody else. And, and and the funny part is the folks who go, the folks on the list going to have the exact same resume as everybody else. They're going to either went to Harvard or Yale. They're going to all, all private schools. Yeah. They all go to private schools, school. Yeah. They're going to been clerk for somebody. They've been a judge. Like, at some point, we're like throwing like darts at the at, at a dartboard, and then all whatever you hit is going to count at this point, right? And so they're not like it's not like they pick someone who like you know who's who we should pick that lady who's down there standing on the, like that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who like, but because as you pointed out, like the logic, the way that we think about blackness, right, and in this case, gender in terms of the Supreme Court as not being the same as genius, right? As same as 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 qualified, right? They are, black folks aren't never given the benefit of the doubt, no matter how talented they are, right? right. Especially when it comes to thinking, right? We have given the benefit of the doubt for our bodies, right? You're like, man, should I take this black wide receiver over this white wide receiver? We'll give the black wide receiver the benefit of the doubt. But if we ask for that white wide receiver to call plays, we're going to give the black they're going to give the white guy the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's where we're, that's where we're really getting into. And right. I think that's the, the challenge yeah. that we see. Carl, and, come on in. Carl, yeah, come, on, Carl, come on. Cause then after that, I got to talk about left with and my boy, uh, the enemy. No. And so, and, and it's all going to say, I mean, two things, right? Like, like they tried to drive this point home in the like lawsuit document as well around how the NFL came down on the race norming. Right. Yes. And, and and how how they came down on race norming and, and and what it said about the NFL as an institution and how they think about black intellect, right? In these in these kinds of spaces, right? And this is you know going into a Super Bowl in which we have two head coaches, two white head coaches who are both under forty years old. Yes. Right. Here we are talking about black coaches that waited over forty years to get an opportunity after yeah. starting their first job. Right. Well, we have two white coaches in their thirties leading teams to the Super Bowl this this weekend, right? Um, you know, and, and and I think a lot of, you know, to 
to what Lou was talking about with the black coaches, right? Um, you know, the, some of the numbers in this document were mind boggling. Right? I, I didn't um, even know. It. Go like, ahead, Lou. In, right. Go ahead. Like, he, he, no, he said like, like the the one stat that really blew me was like in twenty years since the Rooney Rule, and we have to talk about the Rooney Rule, right? Because yeah. that's part of this, right? But in twenty years since the Rooney Rule was established, there have been one hundred and twenty nine head coaching vacancies. Only fifteen positions filled by black coaches in twenty years. Right. That's less than that's crazy. That's crazy. Right. In twenty years right. of being forced to interview <laughs> black coaches, you still have right? Right. less than what a year. Right, like, like and, I, and, and, yeah. and 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 they say the year the Rooney Rule was implemented, there were three black coaches in the NFL, and here we are twenty years later with one. Right, right, one. like like it clearly doesn't work. Right, if we're talking about solutions and thinking about what's the fix, right, this that's the the Rooney Rule as as well intended as it may have been with all the amendments over the past twenty years, it's just not working. Right. Um, and a part of why it's not working has a lot to do with, you know, what we've already started hitting on. Like these people just don't want to make those decisions. Right. They are much more comfortable hiring the people that they are comfortable with. Um, and, and unless, you know, because even, you know, there was this, this sense that the, you know, that even the Giants decision. Right. And, and how it kind of like came back to Flores through Belichick. Right. Like, mm. like, like the fact that these folks are talking to each other about mm-hmm. these jobs also is an indicator, right, that, that sh- you know, about how they feel about the Rooney rule, right? They had a coach ready to be hired before the Rooney rule candidate even got into the room. <laughs> right. Um, so, Real quick yeah. on the Giants. I mean, think about that. Who they hired? Joe Judge last time? Yes. Uh, yeah. Patriots special team guy. How'd that work out? Who was available? Eric Bieniemy, right? And this idea that somehow you're asking Bill Belichick his opinion when all his coaches, except Brian Flores, have right, failed. Right, right. right. <laughs> you're gonna ask this guy's opinion, right? That's what's crazy. That's so crazy. But you know, we I, we mentioned this last time on the pod, and the name that's gonna come up, I guarantee you, because it's the Super Bowl, is Raheem Morris. And to me, when the Tampa Bay hired him. I think looking back on it, it's such a big deal, right? Because they hired him, a young, unproven guy. It's like really one of the few times a black guy just got a chance like that. Him and Tomlin, right? Those two guys got a chance. Like just being young, I think Tomlin might have been like a DB coach for the for the Vikings, mm-hmm. right? But he blows the Steelers away. I think Raheem Morris gets caught up in that wave, that young black wave. And for a split second, mentioned this last time, that you get the feeling that the NFL can change. And now, you know, Raheem Morris has a good year in Tampa Bay. They win 10 games, has a couple bad years, and he literally has to start at the bottom, right? And now here he is working his way up. Last year's defensive coordinator for the Rams, what's he doing right now? He's head coach at the Chargers, right? Yeah. Boy genius, boy wonder, blows it for making it in the playoffs because he thinks he's so smart, right? Right. We'll see what happens with Raheem Morris. Does he get that same treatment, right? Does he get, oh, your defensive coordinator for the Rams, last year the guy got a job, he did great. Or is he going to be Todd Boyle's defensive coordinator for the Super Bowl winning team, and now he's got to, he had to run it back, and now he's got to run it back again just to get another chance? I mean, the running back problem is, is uh, like, the, but, you know, this is this is the frustrating part as a fan, as a scholar. Is like they like oh you need to be a coordinator to be a coach right so then you see all these non coordinators get jobs Jim, Jim Harbaugh 
not John Harbaugh, but Jim Harbaugh has done an amazing job in Baltimore. Joe Judge did a, a terrible job, right? We see all these kinds of examples, right? Cliff Kingsbury failed at, at the collegiate level. He gets a job. He gets three, four years on the job. Um, so then they're like, oh, you do it. So then you're successful. You win the Super Bowl. Eric Bieniemy and Leftwich and both all won the Super Bowl, like in the last three years. Then there's, right. You win a Super Bowl as a coordinator, as a white coordinator, you are walking into one of the openings the next season. That is just like par for the course, right? The only way you're not taking a job is if the job you're offered is so bad that you don't want it. And you're like, I'm better off staying. But not like those guys aren't even getting offers. And this is crazy. So like, we, you know, like we're talking about a steer. I mean, like this lawsuit is laid it all bare. They said so. So, again, that lawsuit, it, it, it gives all the notable recent examples. Right. It talks about Flores, Caldwell, Steve Wilkes, oh, right in Steve Arizona. Wilkes. I before. forgot about Steve Wilkes. Um, right. Dave Cully, Chris Rashard, Terrell Austin. But I, I do think Eric Bieniemy always is always going to come up as that guy, right? They said Eric Bieniemy has interviewed for head coaching time for head coaching positions twenty times. That's crazy. He's been interviewed twenty times. <laughs> like that is mind blowing to me to think that that he's in the room twenty times with the resume that he has, right? And no one has taken a chance. Well, and it's and it's like, you know, the those things that have come out on Twitter and on NFL, you know, television, like, you know, he doesn't interview well. That okay, that make makes sense one year, but like now he's actually hindered by the fact that he's got the best player in the NFL, the best quarterback in the NFL, right? Like he's got Patrick Mahomes. Right. And so the first it was like, Well, he ain't calling the plays, Andy Reid's calling the plays. Now it's like he's calling the plays, but he's calling the plays for Patrick Mahomes. They ain't gonna work for Trevor Lawrence, right? Like the, the like whoever it is, like and it's like what you know, like when is the success? Like he's getting blamed for success, <laughs> and that's actually right. held. I think that's actually being held against him. Like you haven't been able to do it with these other regular, whole, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let me see you do it, Ryan Fitzpatrick, before I call, <laughs> right? Like Brian Dayball. Right. Brian Dayball. Let's be real. Brian Dayball was the assistant to Mike Loxley. He was the understudy to Mike Loxley. At Alabama, he gets the job at Alabama. He takes over Alabama with all them five stars. Then he gets the offensive coordinator job at the Bills where Josh Allen has transformed himself into a superstar. But, like, no one's holding that again. Like, you know you only coach four or five-star guys at Alabama. And, of course, your offense looks good. Everybody's like, well, Loxley's offense don't look good at Maryland. I'm like, because we ain't Alabama. Like, this is what – like, <laughs> this is how it works, right? Like – and so, like, this is the crazy part. Like, these dudes keep getting the benefit of the doubt. They keep coming back. And they're, now they're seen as the next level genius. So I, I think there's an element of, like, frustration that, like, we can get together as, like, scholars and invent here because we also know this criteria, right? Yes. We also know right. what it means for the goalposts to be moved. Right. Um, and, and, and that's what we're seeing time and time again. Um, with these black coaches, right? Like, like I thought the Chris Rashard example was was as powerful as it got, right? Mm-hmm. Like Legion of Boom in Seattle turns the Cowboys defense over, and then they're like, yeah, but defensive coordinators aren't really our thing right now for head coaching positions right. and offensive coordinators, right? And then we get offensive coordinators, the enemy and Leftwich, and it's just like, yeah, it's you know, it's it's the quarterback coaches, right? right. Like, or right, it, right. right. But then becomes like the position coaches that are jumping right the gun. And it's just like, just call it what it is, right? Um, 
you know, I, I mean, Lou, you met, made the point about uh, the that Belichick tree, right? Like, we just saw Josh McDaniels come out of the woodworks for now. His, I don't know which head coaching position he's in right now, yeah. right? Like, but I mean, you know, like, it, it's just one of those. And, and, and all he did at his interview was say, I've learned. Right, like he said, I, <laughs> yeah, because you know, he went he like two I, and twelve or something two before they fired him. Right. Like, yeah, he's awful. But but it's it's a copycat league until you're black, right? Like yes. it's, that's what uh, it is. Because if if because Brian Byron Brian, Brian which fits everything you need to fit. He's young. He's been a quarterback coach. He's been OC. He's a quarterback. He's a leader in that locker room. All these people say that, but he doesn't have the right skin tone. Now I'll say this: he'll get the Jacksonville job there will be a black coach hired. There's gotta be like, they're not going to, they're not going to mess this up. Goodell will throw us that somebody will. It makes perfect sense for him to get the Jacksonville job. I, now I don't know why they're still playing around. Like why it hasn't been announced. Like this, this was the moment they lost on Sunday. That should have been locked up. Right. Because he's a the guy they drafted. Right. He he's, he's had Tom Brady in there. He's shown success. So he's, he's done everything he needs to do. He's learned under a great guy, right? Mm-hmm. This should have been locked up. <laughs> this, I this, mean, it should no, have been locked cool. up. Yeah, it should have been locked up when they had fired Urban Meyer, right? Like, right, like- <laughs> right. They should have thrown everything at him, and maybe that's maybe that's what's taking so long. You know, he's getting his right GM. Um, what's his name? That 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 former what free safety for the Cardinals? I think they're bringing him as a GM. Okay, um, they're supposed to be bringing him. So. So maybe, maybe that's it. But that doesn't that shouldn't distract us from the fact that all these other guys are just getting shafted, right? Well, I mean, um, that's the thing that like yeah. we get that's frustrating. Uh, and I we think get one and we're excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like there it is. Like that's all you get is this one, right? And and I think that if you know, and I think the NFL's case for discrimination would be considerably stronger if they were just tapping guys like Mike Zimmer, who was the former coach at the Minnesota Vikings, right? Like Mike Zimmer right. had been a longtime defensive coordinator, had like worked for 40. I mean, he in many ways he was like David Culley. He had worked as a longtime coordinator, multiple franchises, had never gotten a job. And then he got the job. And Minnesota was pretty competitive um until this season, right? Like, but if that was a story for most of these guys, but like you said, like these young guys are getting they're 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 having one season, one successful season as a defensive coordinator, and then like, yeah, you get to be our next head coach. And we're like, right. even though we're not taking defensive court, even though black defensive coordinators have the best defense for three and four years in a row, then they, Chicago Bears, right? right. <laughs> you're still not getting the job, right? Like, and so I think yeah. there's this, 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 like, that's the frustration. I saw, um, before we got on, I saw an interview with, um, Aaron Glenn, who's a defensive coordinator for, uh, the Detroit Lions. Detroit. And he, I guess he had interviewed with some place and, and, he was he was still saying the right thing. He you know they asked about the lawsuit. He's like, I'm just going to go out and put my best foot forward and get yeah. my lawsuit too because he you know he wants to stay in the league. Uh, and he's a Bill Parcell guy, by the way. He's a he's like he's from that tree and he's like real tight with Parcells. And then uh, Patrick Graham interviewed, who's the former defensive coordinator for the Giants, interviewed at Minnesota. Uh, and 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 Lou, you said this right before we got on that Patrick Graham interviewed, and as soon as his, they announced his interview, they were like. You know the the NFL the Wolverine, broke. The, yeah. yeah the, they're like Michigan's John Harbaugh is going to Minnesota. Like he ain't even showed up for his yeah. interview yet. <laughs> he has it. He's got an interview tomorrow morning, and and they're already announced his job. Now this might be for him. I I I wouldn't leave Michigan. You know what I mean for the pros. 
but you know, he and he had to take that fifty percent pay cut, you know, and then you know, you're looking at guys getting a hundred millions, and maybe this is a play for him. But if it comes out that he's taking a Minnesota job, and you just off, you just you know, interviewed that black guy and and knowing that he wasn't getting it, you know, that's 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 awful. And it doesn't seem like you know Minnesota's had a history of of you know having guys like Dennis Greed and uh, Leslie Frazier in there, and mm-hmm. you know black quarterbacks like Randall and Warren Moon and and Tavares Jackson taking Dante him Culpepper, Dante Cole, yeah. Mister Bout about it, Dante Culper, right? <laughs> uh, so they you know they they got and you know they've got a history of of being pretty open when it comes to those positions. Um, but if you, you know, if you did something like that, it's that guy, but you know, just on that, that whole defensive coordinator thing that I mentioned the Chicago bears, I might've talked over somebody, but they hired a defensive coordinator from the Indianapolis Colts. When Leslie Frazier was out there, when Todd Bowles was out there, when D'Amico Ryans was out there, uh, when Raheem Morris is out there. Okay. You're going to go defense. These guys are way better than this other guy, right? It, was Indianapolis defense what that is, good? They were like 14th rate. They had what they had, uh, Darius Leonard or whatever, they had right? Darius Leonard. They like league the middle, average, you know, though, HBCU right? shut up. Yeah, huh? they like, like league average, though, right? Like, in the, right. Yeah. But, and they get it. <laughs> and who they lose to their last game? Jacksonville, right? <laughs> <You're> not, <laughs> a winner get in, and, and Jacksonville you put should, up Nobody what, should get a job points. after that, right? Nobody. Everyone should have been fired. <laughs> so, you know, and then the other point Green Bay Packers, OC. Yeah, he gets to play with Aaron Rodgers. Gets that job at what Denver? Yeah, right. And so what gets held against the enemy, and you know he's got some background stuff. But what gets held against the enemy or left, which doesn't get held, doesn't get held against in the same way um, as the Green Bay Packers guy. I forget his name. So so my bad to Hackett. him. But yeah, Hackett is Hackett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we'll see how many how many positions are open. There's the Saints, Jaguars, which I think left, which will get. Houston's still open. Minnesota's still open. Minnesota's open. Is Miami still open? Miami's still open. Miami's still open? Yeah. So we're looking at five? Yeah. We're still looking at five. But this, this is going to be – there's got to be. We're going to get multiple black coaches hired. And they're the like, C, and so it'll be at three again. But, but you know what, Sonny, though? But this is pressure, though, right? Because this is pressure now. Roger Goodell is making this call, making that everything else is going to be on the up and up. Like well, so but 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 are they though? So so two things we still gotta talk about, right? Like it's it's the solutions, right, or the potential solutions. How do we fix this? But also, I mean, the NFL put out their statement blanket response. That's crazy to the suit, <laughs> right? Um, you know, which 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 came off very much like it's the end of the work day. We just need to put something out and get us to tomorrow. And and was just like we will defend against these claims, which are without merit. Right. Like and it's just like like if there's anything you want to say about without merit part, the the without merit part, just like you just lose everybody. Right. Right. Like you literally lose everybody because you have people in your front office who have regularly been holding these various DEI positions and saying that we have to be better. Right. right? (laughs) And and, and so here goes a lawsuit that's saying you need to be better. And you, you guys are like. There's no issue, right? Like you can't you can't pick and choose when you want to be better, right? You can't blow up the font and racism. That's the end of it, and then think you know when a suit is you know laying on your on your desk at work, this is going to be your initial response, dude. You right? couldn't have, that, you couldn't have. I mean, it's fit, it wasn't that long, but you still could. You should have been like without merit makes it seem like it's like a frivolous lawsuit. 
And I'm like, right, I'm re- right. and, and I'm we're not lawyers, right? But we're historians. And I'll tell you what, this is one of the best history papers I have read <laughs> in sports in a long time. Like it it went to the gentleman's agreement, it went all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. Like it they took that from Lou Moore. They took that from Lou Moore. It's okay though. That Plessy v. Ferguson citation, that's not me. I said nothing about Plessy v. Ferguson. That's their lawyer's interpretation. But L.A., by the way, if we're talking 46 Rams, the Coliseum was a public institution that couldn't discriminate. That's the whole thing here. So I just I just want to throw that out to the listeners, right? Uh, you know, that, that Plessy v. Ferguson part, that wasn't me. But that gentleman's <laughs> agreement, it certainly was. Now, that's yeah. Yeah, that's what's so cold about it. They just went down in a quick fashion. It's like, this is it, this is it, this is it. And then those stats, right, about the, stats the OCs and stuff like uh, that. That like, blows oh, you away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Carl, your last point, and before we get out of here about the solutions, like, I don't, I don't, I think, I don't, you know, I don't see, for instance, I don't see black majority ownership as being a solution. I think one of the things that's very interesting is that we've hired these black GMs. These black GMs didn't hire black coaches. So I don't necessarily see mm-hmm. black GMs. I think that's a separate category. And I don't know if there's any kind of correlation between hiring right. black coaches, because I think the hire and the coach doesn't come from the GM as much as it comes from the ownership group. Right. I um, so us waiting on someone I, on Twitter. The joke was Jay Z got own own a franchise by the end of the week. That's right. probably the best case scenario here going out. Like you know, what black billionaires do we know that have enough capital ready to buy into any of the franchises to become a majority shareholder uh, to alleviate some of this pressure? There's not that many. Um, the search committee, I think, is, and, a, is a, yeah. a strong idea. But we all know from our experience, the search committees don't necessarily, I mean, like the search committee is cool, but if the hiring stops with the owner, then the search committee is is just a pro forma. It's like the Rooney rule, right? It's a- It's transformative. Yeah, it's just there. It's dressing. You know, and, and the other thing, here's, I said this before, the solution is it's got to come from the media, right? Until you see the Byron Leftwiches of the worlds of geniuses, then you're not going to have a change, Right. Because because he's he's not thought of it that way, and because that's the case, they're not bringing in other guys like him. There's no pipeline, right? Once once Leftwich and Enemy get the job, there's no pipeline. Yeah, because these these no one's seeing them as it's like I I got to get this guy, right? And the other thing I think the GM thing is super interesting because you know like Minnesota's GM black guy he's an analytics guy and a couple years ago we said that would never be the case right these guys are getting whether it's baseball or whether it's the nfl they're getting left behind because they're not seen as you know these analytics guys well this guy's ivy league right right but can we see the players like that that's the key we can see the guy who goes to ivy league like that and one team can see that but can we see the players who are used to seeing as just these you know lack of better term dumb jocks right you know, I don't. I, I think they think very low of a lot of people in their locker room. They'll say he's a good guy, but I think they think very low of their of their intelligence, right? To be coaches, to tap them, put them in the pipeline. And until that changes, you're not going to have a change, especially on the offensive side. I can see I, the defensive side. I can see it, right? You can always fit that mold as that tough nosed guy, mm-hmm. right? You can always be that out there, like Ray Rhodes or whatever. But to be that young offensive genius, how many offensive black football coaches have we had 
in the history. I mean, maybe you want to count Art Shell Fire. I wouldn't count him. He's always, you know, he's he's O line guy. It's Dennis Green. It's Jim Caldwell. Like who else is there? Mm. On the offensive, is there anyone off? else as a, a young as an offensive guy? I mean, wouldn't Collie as a offensive, head coach, offensive guy? You mean he was a he was a wide receivers coach? That don't count. Who caught the guy for Cully? Oh, Coley. And Coley and Coley doesn't Coley doesn't count because it's a sham job. But okay, if you want to count Coley, right? The other guys are all defensive guys. Right. And yeah. and I and I think that speaks to how we see it's the same thing with quarterback, how we see intelligence, how we see leadership, right? Yeah. And 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 I think there has to be a change. And it and and I can say it all the all I want. I could go on my, my Twitters and call people geniuses and I intentionally do that all I want. But if the media is not doing that, right, if they're not in the air, because I, you know, I really believe that people in these NFL offices, they, they read this stuff, right? They're influenced by what's going on, right? By at ESPN or NFL network. And if these guys aren't, aren't saying this about these, these, these young coaches, um, then that's a problem. And if the NFL is not creating a pipeline in that, and I, I wonder how hard it is just to be a coach, just to be that guy who gets to step in and be a 35 year old coach, what do you actually have to give up and how many, how many young black kids, you know, coming straight out of college, have that opportunity to say, you know what, I'm an intern, you know, I'm a, I'm going to just take uh, copies. Those, dude, intern, those intern, dudes are intern, all intern. coming from families that can afford to make, for they can make like to take that opening job right. doing, looking at film at 21. You know what I mean? I think that's some of right. that too. Um, I, I think, I, I think one of the things that I don't want to get overlooked from this, from the transcript or lawsuit as well, right, is that, you know, they write, um, the authors of the lawsuit, right, the, the team, they write that the only way to effectuate real change is through the courts, mm-hmm. right? My gut instinct when this dropped was that they'll set, they'll settle, right? The NFL will settle. Um, right. They'll pay it out uh, and it won't go to the courts, right? Um as historians, we know this all too well, right? That sometimes it takes for it to go to the courts. Yeah. To, to put the, you know, to put the horse before the cart, if you will, right? Um, because otherwise people just aren't going to change unless you force their hands, right? Yes. And so, so there's an element of this where I, I hope that what, what Brian Flores started here, he's going to see through. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and and I understand that it's going to be a tough decision to make as somebody who potentially just sacrificed his career in this institution. Right. right, the idea of a settlement payout will will probably be very enticing. Right, because the NFL figures is going to be back. nine figures. Yeah, okay. I think it's got to be something like nine figures. I mean, that's a lot of. If my math is correct, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but it, I mean, that's what he would have made. Right, and let's say he gets three or four opportunities. What is he looking at? Like five million a year. And he's maybe he's thinking I'll be in this game, but but nine figures to shut me up. So I, for to close out the scope. Here's the thing, though. I think there's twofold here. I think you're absolutely right. History has shown us that the gains that black folks have made have often come through the courts, right? Like we've we all, we we as scholars often talk about the the protests that we have to do. But as a, when we teach the Montgomery bus boycott, for instance, we like, you know, they 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 marched for a whole year, but it still ended up in court. Right. Like that. Gail B. Browder. Right. Like, Ooh, look, look, that look at you. Somebody still teaching survey. I love it. <laughs> 1956. <laughs> so. So. So, yeah, you know, we have to we still have to we the courts still matter. I think the other part is for Brian Flores. And I think there's a possibility that he can make it 
and continue to go forward is he has ended his NFL career perhaps, but he has not ended his coaching career. And I'm telling you that like coaches like him who are very talented at their job, there is a deep look that people in the SEC want to win. <laughs> I'm just telling you, like the, the the defensive coordinator at Auburn before they fired that whole staff the other year was making $2.5 million as a yes. DC, right? I'm saying that there's a possibility that there's going to be a number of programs that will allow him to coach defense and make over a million dollars a year. And two, the possibility if he's successful at that to be a head coach, even at the collegiate level, even though that has its same kinds of problems as the NFL, because the winning culture is not necessarily tied to the, is the different kind of institutional politics. And if you can prove that you could defeat whoever the juggernaut is in your conference, right? If it's Ohio state or Michigan or, or Alabama or Georgia, whatever, I'm telling you, the, the mother folks will be like, we want to hire you. Cause you know what, you know, you've got, you've cracked the code, whether you are genius or not. <laughs> Right. Because football is that serious in the Southeast where there's no NFL friend. Like the money-making operation is important, but it is secondary to winning. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you're talking about the NFL. This whole lawsuit is like the owner's like, yeah, I need you to throw lose games. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That's great. You know, I mean? like this is the thing. So I think his coaching career at the NFL level may be over, but I think that, I don't want us to think that he's, the, you know, he's going to have to take this pie out and never coach again when I think that there's going to be plenty of opportunities for him to be a high-paid coordinator at the collegiate level. And, you know, does he want to do that? I don't know. But there's an opportunity. And that high-paid, we, we're not talking about, you know, $600,000 high-paid coordinator. We're talking about, you know, $1 million to $3 million a year at the elite institutions. Yeah. We knew Derek. I, I, we, we we knew Derek was going to bring college football. I mean, boom! I, I think, yeah, yeah, I knew. I, I was waiting for it. I waited an hour for it. We finally got it. And on that note, I think it's time to say peace. Before, on that. before we, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Carl, for 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 chopping it up with us. Thank sure. you, sir. All right. Peace. Peace.